0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, but that panel includes a former panelist who's come back to join us, Jorna Taylor. Jorna, welcome back.
1: You know, for anybody who listens to Pod Save America, I'm not a friend of the pod anymore. I'm a guest of this the pod. Guest I'm of the so pod. I'm so excited.
0: Well, Jorna, we're really glad you could come back. Rebecca couldn't... Join us this week, so we're thrilled to have you back. It's good to see you back from Door you. County riding George. She rode in on George this morning. I did not. She did not. <laughs> uh, but Robert did ride in on his pedal bike as he has been doing. Also now. named George. George, his pedal bike George, <laughs> which he's been riding now for over a year and. Uh, Working on uh, uh, conserving energy, Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome.
2: Yes, the only one without a carbon (laughs)
0: footprint coming in. Oh, Oh, come on. All right. On that note, so we have a number of topics we're going to talk about this week, uh, including the elections that just happened this week. We're going to... Debrief them and see if there's lessons learned and anything that that portends to 2018. We're also going to talk a little con con with Ken Taylor. We're also going to talk Fox Con. It's a lot of conning going on. Con con con, yes, a lot of cons going on this week. So we will talk a little bit more about that. And also, uh, there's some political news that we want to talk about later in the show. But with that. Let's dive right into the 2017 elections that just occurred this week. There were some uh, major gubernatorial elections and other races around uh, the country, and uh, Democratic candidates, one in particular, uh, not only the New Jersey governor, but the Virginia governor in that race, had been, while favored, uh, the Democrats went in certainly with the lead. It was a much larger win than people had expected. So what are the lessons? I'm going to kick it to Jorna first on this. What is your biggest takeaway from Tuesday night here in America?
1: (laughs) Uh, That the tide is turning and that the hateful rhetoric of the Trump administration and of the president himself is not how we are going to win and move forward with Um, a better vision for what our country can be and not just this hateful, divisive, detrimental, uh, to use a rubber word, draconian public policy agenda that Republicans are trying to enact. You know, particularly in the Northam-Gillespie race in Virginia, we saw how uh, Gillespie just continually Pummeled his opponent with, you know, just outlandish attacks, race baiting, and all sorts of, you know, um, super secret. What was it? The MS-13 ties. I mean, both
2: immigrants and uh, Confederate monuments.
1: Yeah, and monuments, and you know, preserving our heritage and just garbage talking points, and when voters turned out to the polls, they rejected that sort of backwards idea of where our country needs to go, and that was really uplifting and fantastic to see. I will also say that I saw some data, some exit polling data, that showed that young people, millennials, overwhelmingly, like, in the high, high double digits, turned out overwhelmingly for Democrats in Virginia over Republicans. And that was certainly something that we've been waiting for uh, to see happen, but it's really, it's it's a trend on the rise.
0: It's also worth pointing out that African-Americans turned out in much higher numbers than was expected, and particularly, and again, overwhelmingly for Democratic candidates, African-American women in particular, very strong numbers. That is worth pointing out that uh that that, that, that that happened, but so Robert, uh, Virginia, New Jersey, last I checked, these were went democratic in 2016. so you know, I guess respond to this, so what, so what does that really mean? Uh, if two already Democratic states maybe went a little more Democratic? Are we overreading this? And, and I know conservatives are saying, hey, these are just a couple of states, right, small areas. This doesn't really mean anything.
2: Well, let me lay New Jersey off to the side right away. New Jersey is a blue state, and blue state politics are very different. You often elect Republican governors in blue states because the Democratic Party tends to become shall we say, less than dynamic when it has full control. It's a machine. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how Christie got in. Christie w- w- was horrendous governor. And so there's a backlash against Christie. The Democrats were going to get control. People had forgotten what the previous Democratic control had done. It which is wasn't... worth
0: pointing out Christie was at about
2: 15% popularity. So. Yes. <laughs> and the, yeah, the beach incidents, many others. So the, clo- the closing, bridge. closing bridges to punish political opponents. Yes. Personhood. So let's leave, leave, uh, you know, the Soprano state to the side. And as far as Virginia goes, look, Virginia was a surge election because the Democratic nominee was uh, lackluster, is the word being used in objective journalism, okay? And so, but there was an unexpected surge in the House of Delegates, which was heavily Republican, and there was a 15, my, my understanding, there were some that were still in recount, but looks like a 15-seat pickup. Uh, so there is, they've gone to almost taking majority, not quite. No one thought that was even plausible. And so that tells you there was a real rejection of Trumpism. And Gillespie, interestingly enough, uh, the uh, Republican nominee, race-baited, used the Confederate uh, right. monuments used the whole Trump playbook to try to see if he could unify the white working class and get a surge like Trump did in the uh, in the, blue wa- the, the supposedly blue wall states or the, uh, that Trump actually won in the presidential election. And it didn't work. And it's interesting that Trump actually says the reason it didn't work is because he didn't use Trump's name enough. That he, right. associated himself, he tried to associate himself with uh, Trump's race baiting and hatred, uh,
1: without citing the, the, the race chief, baiter, race in baiter in chief and hater in chief, <laughs> exactly
2: Jordan, very well put. and so uh, it didn't work what's interesting, we need to like to to get a finer grain by twenty points. The biggest issue in Virginia was health care, so what they tried to do on healthcare care, the bait and switch, the successful so far resistance, and I say so far because they 're trying to use the tax bill to gut healthcare care right now um literally has set us up where healthcare is a dominant issue and that's one of the biggest learnings in wisconsin one is maybe we could have a surge actually made progress in the assembly and the senate here or even took them back because of what happened in virginia especially even without winning the redistricting uh case though we may well win that as well but in addition healthcare, virginia is a non-expansion state because the republican legislature has blocked democrat governors from expanding medicaid in wisconsin we now know that uh that, that the one defining issue that's developed between the democrats and walker one of the big ones is health care and specifically democrats supporting the bill in action helped develop the badger care public option bill um, and there are 10 other states considering similar bills so it is setting up as a are you going to go beyond the affordable care act and make health care affordable and make the affordable Care Act better and build towards medicare for all or are you going to have the republican position which is sabotage so i mean literally uh, almost forty percent of voters voted on health care, and the next biggest issue was taxes, and it was in well buried in the teens as far as interest among Virginia voters. Yeah, no, I, I was actually Robert can underscore that polling.
0: The, the, the second issue was actually gun policy, but taxes was fifteen percent, gun policy seventeen, health care was thirty nine percent, abortion was only eight percent, immigration twelve. What's really important in those numbers is health care is overwhelmingly a Democratic issue, like seventy seven percent. Whereas all those other issues are Republican issues, although gun policy was was actually uh, split. So it just shows this issue is very, you know, very important, as Robert underscored. It is a key takeaway that their push on ACA and all of this cuts to Medicaid is not popular. It is also worth pointing out in Maine that a referendum passed with over 60 percent to
2: expand Medicaid and against the governor. So the governor's been overridden by the people in Maine and they will be expanding Medicaid.
0: So that is a lesson to. Our and state.
2: And a, a, a shout out to Maine People's Alliance, our fellow People's Action Network partner that led that whole campaign.
1: I always knew you couldn't trust Maine. So
0: it's, <laughs> but it's a, it's a really important lesson for Wisconsin since we're in a very similar place, right? We think of ourselves as a lot more enlightened than maybe our current politic. and we have a governor who went who's extreme on this issue and there's a real opportunity robert mentioned badger care public option could is becoming one of the defining issues on the democratic side in the gubernatorial election we need to continue to do that um one other thing that i want to mention before we we go to break about this is one other thing that's really going on here too is you know progressive base the base is really organized right now and is really making a serious effort to turn this resistance and protest into real political power. And a shout out to a lot, Robert, you mentioned uh, Maine People's Alliance. A lot of uh, people's action affiliates have been doing significant organizing in a lot of these regions. And, you know, I think one of the other untold story is this movement, you know, and is growing. And really, it is people of color, it is immigrants and other folks who were really turned out in big numbers and are showing that they're really energized. So so there's a lot of really good things going on uh, and we need to keep up the pressure and, and lay out that long term vision.
1: Matt, before we I know we have to go to a break here in just a second but when we come back can we spend a minute talking yep. about some other local races that we'll happened? We'll talk more Yep. Excellent. we're going to
0: talk more about this important election but with that we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back uh, again we are Citizen Action Wisconsin and this is the Battleground Wisconsin Welcome back to Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also very active on Facebook. Before we broke uh, for commercials, we were talking about the 2017 election and the lessons learned. And Jorna, I know... You have something you want to add to this conversation? I I
1: do. I think, so there were a lot of other important things that happened on Tuesday night as well. And one of them was Virginia's and the nation's first openly transgender candidate being elected to their state house, their house of delegates. And so congratulations to Delegate Danica Rome, who beat a gentleman I, I did live in Virginia. And he, I think, has called himself like the homophobe in chief or something really horrible. I mean, Bob Marshall is a bad person. However, um, delegate Danica Rome has shown the utmost grace under pressure and said that he is now a constituent and that she looks forward to working with him and representing him. So, um, you know, big congratulations. A lot of people were really watching that race. Um, People were not watching as much the fact that Minneapolis's city council elected two African-American transgender individuals to their city council on Tuesday night as well. So as we are seeing continual attacks on our transgender community and brothers and sisters and families, it is important to note that there are also political strides being made, and so perhaps, just perhaps, Republicans who continue to float things such as bathroom bills and, you know, anti-bullying initiatives and things um, against the transgender community will take a look at where the public actually is on this issue and understand that, you know, people like Danica ran on fixing traffic because that's what's important to the constituents in the Tidewater region in Virginia. So, um, you know, hats off to a lot of these candidates for putting themselves out there in a climate that has been incredibly inhospitable to welcome them to the political process.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really glad you could highlight those particular points. I I think it really does underscore, right, that this this resistance movement, politics is fundamentally changing. We are in a very exciting period, and, you know, the politics of old is... it just, it doesn't, it's not going to get you anywhere. And we need, we need candidates who are actually going to stand for things like what you talked about. And uh, again, that is coming out of this resistance movements. And again, it's also, it's really being powered by people who are really want to stand up and fight and sort of to, try to do politics differently. So a shout out to a lot of these candidates who, who stood up and uh, ran for office and are kind of leading the way to the kind of politics we would like to see and really being bold, visionary candidates who actually reflect the diversity of our communities and, and really are looking for opportunity for all. So I don't know, Robert, if you have any more you wanna add on the 2017 elections. Otherwise, what I'd like to do is transfer and talk a little bit about uh some of our local election
2: news that's coming up but do you have something you want to add Well just that I've seen breaking news that uh Governor Lepage is in Maine is claiming he's going to ignore the ballot initiative and they have a binding referendum ballot initiative process yeah. in Maine so I uh, expect to see some lawsuits there and I think it I know we're we'll going to talk about cons later it reflects the fact that right-wing conservatives don't actually believe in democracy, so he actually thinks that he should he should have power instead of the 60% of main residents who voted for the expansion, which is a stunning amount of arrogance, but that is their ideology that he knows better than the people.
0: Well, and you, you mentioned LePage, he has a striking similarity to our current governor, who has done everything to reject and uh, any any expansion of health care uh, and to, to try and sabotage the Affordable Care Act, our governor announced this week that he is running for re-election, a third term. Yay. If two is good, three, three is a charm. Ter- wait. Right, three more. Three <laughs> more. So it was, it was uh, interesting to notice that uh, he announced on Wednesday there were more opponents who showed up to the event than actual supporters of the governor, which is, I think, indicative of uh, his governance, but also the opportunity. Uh, governor Walker still remains a very unpopular governor uh, on a policy, from a policy position. The problem, as we all know and as we've seen before... He is a grand champion when it comes to raising dirty, corrupt political Christ. money that, <laughs> that can paper over, confuse, suppress uh, his, his actual record and muddy up an election. And so it looks like... We're headed into another uh, Governor Walker gubernatorial election, Jorna.
1: Oh, I'm excited. Um, I think my favorite part of this is didn't he, you know, talk about term limits, and now all of a sudden these things are not important
0: anymore. Especially you know, I like
1: how convenient it is for. Republicans and for Walker to just you know change their mind and be like, "Oh, but this is really important for the state that I stay in charge of destroying everything in the fabric of our community. I think that's fantastic um, his not to not to mention that his lieutenant governor was out um, meeting with Hmong entrepreneurs earlier this week, and um, she was meeting with Hmong and she actually talked about it being at the what she learned at the Chinese buffet so that was ah, you know they're a good team Yes, I'm looking forward to another. <laughs> Walker Clayfish. Well, <laughs> I'm glad G- I'm Jorna brought her and her. Jorna, let's go to <laughs> a analysis. Polish
2: smorgasbord for St. Patrick's Day next year, right? Yeah, And I'm pretty excited. Well, it's it. in line with
0: Trump's, remember Trump's taco? Uh, oh, his taco bowl, the taco best taco bowl bowls on ever. Cinco de Mayo. Yeah,
1: not to derail, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're a joke, right? They They think that we're stupid. And unfortunately, we struggle to make the connection between these low approval ratings that he has and how unpopular he is with actually then when he puts something over here, a sparkly object, which right now is Foxconn, and then everybody goes, oh, well, he must not be that bad. And, well, I guess we should just you know, stick with the one who brought you rather than change being something because we're afraid of change. And that's unfortunate. That's well. on us.
2: The problem is, because this is kind of a hideous, sparkly thing, right? It's sort of a uh, a pig with lipstick on with sparkles thrown glitter on top. Glitter pig. It's right? a glitter pig. <laughs> but the problem is the Democrats don't have any sparkly thing is the problem. Where's the Democratic $3 billion jobs plan?
1: Where's our glitter pig?
2: Right. So ours wouldn't be a pig. Ours would be a stallion. But we got to make sure we actually have, have one. A
1: glitter stallion? Yeah.
2: Doesn't George that sound good? The Stallion. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You all have We're, missed me.
2: <laughs> and I'm looking forward to all of our many candidates because we have lots of candidates for governor coming out with their glitter stallions. Very yes. good. We've come up with it on the pod.
1: Well, look, this it's is. It's going to be a Shetland pony.
2: <laughs> so it was, I thought, interesting
0: that Walker announced the day before the 2017 elections, which really, which we just talked about, right? And it is a new world in some ways that Walker's entering in. Um, and we need to focus on those opportunities the reason we had successes last or earlier this week is because of the vision because of people standing up we now need these democratic candidates and i believe there are 18 or 17 <laughs> at the latest count to to do what you just talked about we really do need a bold vision and an agenda that inspires people that will get people into this process to take on what will be a $30, $50 million campaign. And that's going to require, uh, you know, an unprecedented level of, uh, of civic participation, but also people being excited by a candidate that they'd be willing to give their nickels and dimes, you know, $20, 20 $50 to these candidates in order to take on a war chest. That That is the only way that one can do battle because it ain't going to come from... You know, Democratic insiders are a small base of big money, right? We're just not going to compete. So uh, it's—I think that's the context that we need to look at this in uh, going forward. We're gonna—we're gonna continue to talk a lot about this race going forward. And at Citizen Action, our organizing cooperatives are going to have forums uh, throughout the state where we're going to invite. Democratic candidates for governor come talk about what their vision is. What Where would they like to be if they were elected and uh, served a two-year two term? What would they like to accomplish in the state? And we need to focus on that, because that's how we're going to get out of this hole that we're in. But Walker wasn't the only news that came out this week uh, Corey Mason was elected uh, mayor of Racine this past month, and it's been announced that he is definitely going to step down, and a special election has been step called down from the assembly. From no, the assembly, from the he's done. Okay. He's uh, he was a uh, he was endorsed or uh, brought in as mayor and stepped down two days later. No, he is uh, stepping down from the assembly, so uh, there will be an open seat in Racine, and so our listeners that are in that area. Uh, Strap on your seatbelt. You've got a primary possibly in December and a general election, I think, in January. They're talking like the 17th or so. So we will keep an eye on those elections and others as we head into 2018. So we actually are going to have to take a break, but when we get back, uh, we're going to talk con con with a special guest. Ken Taylor from uh, Kids Forward is going to join us to talk a little bit about uh, Wisconsin becoming the 28th state to uh, look to go to a constitutional um, uh, constitutional convention. So we'll talk more about that when we get back here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and you can find us at CitizenActionWI.org. We're also very active on Facebook. This segment, we are going to talk about ConCon. Con and what is ConCon? Con? Uh, well, we've talked about it before, but this, this week, it's news again. By a vote of 19 to 14, the Republican, and it was pretty much all partisan, uh, in the Senate, uh, made Wisconsin the 28th state that uh, essentially is calling for a constitutional convention. And we have a special guest today uh, to talk with us a little bit more about why we should be so concerned about that, and that is Ken Taylor. Ken is the executive director of Kids Forward. Ken, thanks for joining us.
3: Great to be here with you today, Matt. So, Ken, you
0: have been a leading critic of this. Could you, for our listeners, please outline the top reasons why we should be concerned about this and why also to underscore why this is such a big deal
3: yeah so this is a big deal for lots of reasons i'll highlight two the first is the substance of what they're trying to push forward and then the second is the process that they're using to push it forward so first on the substance uh, this is uh, supposed to be about having a balanced budget amendment to the US Constitution. Um, and so that is problematic on lots of different levels, and it's being sold as a common-sense solution. In fact, they're saying, well, American families have to balance their budget, so why shouldn't the federal government? Well, that's just a false premise to begin with, because, in fact, American families don't balance their budget every year because we make big investments in our futures, and we borrow to do that. So. Uh, if we were to be under this kind of amendment as a, as a family, we wouldn't be able to mortgage our house. Uh, we wouldn't be able to borrow money to send kids to college, uh, buy cars. So, so the idea that this is a common-sense solution based on what we have to do as families is a false premise to begin with. And we also know that uh, sometimes, particularly when we're in recession, uh, we need to to spend our way out of that recession, um, and this will make it harder to do that. And so, it will make recessions deeper. So, what was the the great recession that we recently went through would have been another depression uh, if the balanced budget amendment had been in place. And it also makes it harder to respond to things like earthquakes and hurricanes and other natural disasters. So, this so, is a this is a really bad idea, and will make it more difficult for us to respond. Uh, when we have challenges in our economy,
2: so Ken, there's Robert. So, the lead, the leading premise here was that this balanced budget amendment that federal uh, spending is quote unquote out of control, and really that's Medicare and Social Security and things like Medicaid, right? And therefore, we're going to require this balanced budget, something that a household obviously doesn't do, right? But then there's the other thing you mentioned, right, Ken? The mechanism—this is hard for people to get their minds around because it's so shocking— is the same mechanism that the Founding Fathers used to create the original American Constitution. It's an Article Five Constitutional Convention. And so that really does seem like taking out, I don't know, an elephant gun to try to kill a mosquito here, given the magnitude of that. So that's your other concern, the, uh, how they're trying to do it?
3: It is. So, so this— Uh, So our Constitution uh, is not a perfect document, Um, and so over the course of our history, we've amended it 27 times uh, to do away with slavery, to give women the right to vote. Uh, So there's things uh, that have needed to change within that document. But this is a very different process from those processes. So what this does, it basically throws the entire Constitution up for grabs. So, and the way we know this is because the only other time this has happened was back in 1787, and theoretically, um, the the goal of that uh, process was to revise the Articles of Confederation. But what happened instead was they completely threw it out and came up with our current Constitution. Uh, and they also changed the rules around um, how many states need to ratify it, so the... Uh, so So all those things um, might be up for grabs. And so any of the rights that we all care so much about, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, uh, the role of the courts, all of those things will be up for grabs because um, the only time this has been done, um, that's what happened. And the the current governing document was completely thrown out and revised. And so that's what's at risk here. And it sounds a little extreme and— but it really is uh, that magnitude of concern to say that the Constitution uh, could cease uh, as we now know it and major changes would happen. So there's no way to control it, unlike the, the people who are pushing this. They say, oh, we'll, we'll just focus on the balanced budget, uh, and there, there's no way for that to happen.
1: Well, Ken, it's Jorna. Um, it's You know, it's, I haven't been on the podcast in a couple months now, and I just – I feel like it's my duty to ask you the question. You don't trust Republicans to open up the Constitution of the United States and not do some serious damage? I mean, I know we throw around the word con con and we also have the fox con and we have a lot of conning going on here in Wisconsin it seems, but but you don't you don't trust them? You don't think that they've been um truthful players in rolling back everything that we hold dear here in the state?
3: Well, you know, I think that that there's, and it goes beyond sort of partisan politics here, uh, because you know I'm con- I'd be concerned of of rolling this, uh, throwing the Constitution up in the air uh, for for things that I am in support of as well, uh, because I just it's too great a risk, um, and so you know there's all sorts of questions about the process of who gets to what point uh, you know, people to this convention. Um, you know, I think it'll be uh, special interest free for all. I mean, if you can imagine um, what kind of special interests would invest in order to get their particular uh, interest enshrined in a new constitution. Um, and so, for me, it's not—it's not about sort of uh, trusting one party the, or the other. I just think that it is uh, overwhelmingly risky. And we just don't, uh, we just don't know where it would go. And so, so there are, uh, there are folks that are pushing things that, uh, that I'm in support of using this mechanism and, and I think, and that's a concern as well. So I think it's just too risky regardless of the issue that you would like to changed. And there's, there's other mechanisms, uh, that you can actually keep control on and focus. That's the regular amendment process, um, And there's also these things called elections. And so if we don't like what's going on, then we need to elect different people. Uh, This is not the mechanism for change.
1: Yeah, no, and I do agree with you that this is a dangerous precedent to set no matter who is in charge. You know, I think about redistricting, another hot topic in the news, where – I don't think that Democrats or Republicans should control redistricting. You know, these sorts of things should be done in a nonpartisan best interest of the American public foot forward. And opening up our, you know, Constitution is is incredibly risky and incredibly dangerous for things that we both hold dear and for things that we are opposed to. So. Right.
3: And so the idea of sort of an individual citizen voice in this process, it, we would uh, be completely drowned out. Um, and, and so, you know, this, this would not be in our best interest. and the, The risks are great. And I think they'd be great at any point, but in this particular point in time in our nation's history, um, it's incredibly troubling.
2: So Ken, and it's interesting, um, the far right wing movement in this country, which is, you know actually not all Republicans that sought to take over the Republican Party, has at least since Brown versus Board of Education wanted to change the structure of our government uh, to protect kind of entrenched economic power from democracy. And so I'd really worry that this con-con would be used, and this is the real motivation, uh, to greatly constrict the ability of democracy to actually act in the common interest and uh, on 21st century problems. Uh, but literally, this is shockingly, and I don't know if we were clear about this in the of this segment, this is moving forward, right, and this could actually happen. So where does this stand after the Wisconsin vote in favor by the by the Wisconsin State Senate this week?
3: Yeah, so unfortunately, um, you know, the, they voted yes in the Senate, and that makes us state number 28. Um, and what you need is four states in order for this to go forward. But I will say that um, even that is a little unclear um, because and it shows it goes to show sort of how loosey goosey this whole process is because it hasn't um, it hasn't happened before uh, except back in 1887. It's it's hard to get a, an actual number on the number of states uh, because many of them voted for constitutional conventions, you know, back in the in the the sixties and the fifties. So Indiana voted for this night back in 1957. Does that still hold? Um, you know, that's, an, that's an open question. So there's been a lot of movement. Um, and one of the things, um, that is unclear, uh, as we get closer is what the actual count is. We also know that some states have, have rescinded their vote. So Maryland just rescinded their vote. Um, but there's been a real push on this, uh, over the last, Four or five years, um, you know, it's it's a it's a priority for um, for some of the sort of national groups, Alec in particular. But I will also say that there are there are groups on the right um, that are concerned about this, um, and so you know, folks like the the John Burt Society is concerned about this um, as well. So, so, but we're now at twenty eight. And so there's, there's six more that they would need to push forward. And unfortunately, uh, you know, Wisconsin is creating momentum going forward as a result of this. And so uh, that's, that's really concerning that it, it could have national implications uh, you know, for us
0: going forward. Well, with that, Ken, we have to wrap up this conversation on ConCon. Con. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us here at the Battleground Wisconsin. And uh, thank you very much.
3: Your interest and in your partnership on uh, working on this uh, against this very troubling thing that that just got passed.
0: Well, with that, we got to get out of here. We'll see you uh, right back here at Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. This is the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We have got to talk about WEDEC. It's our last segment, and you know we couldn't uh, couldn't do a show without WEDEC. It continues to remain in the news for obvious reasons. But this week, the big news was that uh, the contract uh, was approved by the WEDEC board uh, over the objections of Peter Rickman. <laughs> 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 the strong the objections strong of peter rickman man bun wearing let's objections. Hey, let's let's give a shout out to peter he <laughs> actually it's just so bizarre this whole scenario where other than carpenter and dana walks there's like nobody really speaking up at all but uh peter i think expressed the frustrations of a lot of us of just how unaccountable this is but aside so the board did vote this week and uh Got to look at the contract. Well, not really. Sort of. It's there's not much to look at. But, uh, we we so here we are. Right. It's it looks like this is going to happen, Jorna. We haven't we haven't had you on in a while. Have you changed Ugh. your opinion? Are you ha, are you drinking the Kool Aid? Is are you you know signing up for your job at Foxconn?
1: Uh, no, I'm getting ready to go down and drink the um, water, the runoff that will come from the factory mm. that. You know, that will be like the Kool-Aid that you'll drink and then die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look, I, this, is, this has been an, an astounding process to watch. And despite the low approval rating uh, or the low performance of actually when people get into there not being environmental protections and what we are actually going to give and, and be owned by China, right? We are going to be owned by a Chinese foreign national company. And then that we will not have the opportunity as a state for at least the next 10 years to pitch any business to come to Wisconsin because we have, you know, blown our entire budget on Foxconn, yet still they have managed to push this through and to see against public pressure and public opinion um, with, you know, fairly with relative ease. And so, no, Matt. I have not changed my mind. I am still anti-Foxconn. I do not think it is a good <laughs> deal, and, but I'm not surprised right. in any way.
2: Robert? Well, it's stunning, I mean, how kind of bankrupt uh, the whole kind of job creation infrastructure, all of the people who work in this area, the whole system really is. There's actually been very little criticism of it from that sector, including a lot of them that would call themselves Democrats, right? Uh, But actually, it's one of the worst deals people have ever seen as far as the terms of the deal, just the number of jobs that you have to create, how, for the amount of money being invested, uh, how rich the tax credits are, and the capital investments are in return for investments from Foxconn. There has been no refutation of our initial critique in the first hearing, that you could create three, four, five times more jobs just by the basic economic metrics if you invested in healthcare, education, renewable energy, energy efficiency, et cetera. There is no refutation of any of that. They just feel more comfortable giving money away to a multinational corporation. And the the big news that came out during the passage, other than Peter Rickman and and Friends' disruption, brief disruption of the proceedings, is that uh, Foxconn only has to can only have five hundred million billion clawed back of the deal, but that the CEO, Terry Grau, is that how you pronounce it, or Gao, has personally guaranteed $1.5 billion. Now, I don't know how enforceable that is, uh, and uh, quite frankly, why not put it in the contract? So why do we need a personal guarantee of the CEO for when the contract, by the way, again, it, it comes out, uh, breaks even at best by two thousand and forty three if everything goes right uh,
0: heads up to a producer that 's a load of crap, basically this notion that this this guy's going to come out and you guarantee the producer' you're gonna go beep is that <laughs> go it? beep okay. yeah okay. look <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. look this is this is this is nonsense, right The idea that we know that the actual legal provisions you just mentioned how little can actually be clawed back of the actual total. This commitment is is the is the total tinsel of the tinsel of the tinsel. Are we him tinsel? sign it? Sign <laughs> it?
2: Is there, it's just you know, it's a personal commitment. I, you know, man. I I can I get can I can we fund this in action, Wisconsin? That way, I personally pledge. It's all uh, you need to know how dollars.
0: rotten this deal is. That that this. Even would be stated that
1: it's <laughs> they a would make this. to glitter it's pigs. Just, <laughs> it's just
0: it was kind of the best way for this all to end. Oh yeah, and by the way, I'll personally guarantee it. Thank you, snake oil salesman. I look forward <laughs> as you and the band uh, hightail it out of town. You know, once the uh, <laughs> contract details <escape> extradition. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, Indiana. I mean, please. We might as well just build a monorail. And right? we also
2: got we get the independent <laughs> accounting firm. So again, we have the admission. Mm-hmm. This we we talked about this in the, on the on battlegrounds conference a couple weeks ago. That they they did decide that we couldn't actually verify the jobs being created. There, I, I'm still not clear. We need to go to the contract who pays for the independent accountant. Either way, WEDEC paying or Foxconn paying, I'm not sure I trust it given the financial collapse and the role of the, of the crediting agencies. But they, by the way, the fascinating thing is, according to press reports, it says they'll verify the jobs based on a sampling. Oh, we're not. Can't we count? Can't we actually uh, count the actual
1: jobs? Can't up. we? We can't. I just want to back this train up for a little bit for just a moment. We cannot count on a quasi state agency, but yet still something that spends our public tax dollars to count and to be trusted to count.
0: To count to 13. Uh, 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 I believe that's not that the big enough. I not either. They'll do a, to sampling. <laughs> so a sampling. Why a sampling?
2: We're not trying to do a census for the whole country and even there we actually try to count everyone. I don't
0: understand. I, I would rather that the CEO instead of guaranteeing uh, uh, it actually just fork over the money so we can count. Actually <laughs> count the actual jobs than any sort of pledge or guarantee. Look, this uh, we've talked about it. This thing's a stinking bomb and uh, this is going to become a huge political issue next year. We need to help make it a political issue. Um, we'll talk about this on our next podcast, or I believe on our next show. But, Jorna, you brought up the environmental regulations, the wetlands, or the lack of regulations. It is worth pointing out, and uh, it was brought up by Jonathan Brostoff on our show, that we could expect what was happening on Foxconn as far as it relates to the environmental regulations to be spread statewide. And we have now heard that there is actually a bill to essentially do just that, take the lack of uh, uh, policies that we have for Foxconn and apply it statewide. We'll talk more about that uh, upcoming legislation on a further show. But again, uh, kudos to all the folks, uh, many in the environmental movement who very early got out front and helped shape The public opinion on this and really fight against this and uh, make this something that hopefully will be highly unpopular and damage these folks in the next election since there appears to be no accountability in our legislative process to get any any real uh, sensible legislation here. Uh, Before we go, though, we do need to talk about uh, another bill that is headed to Scott Walker's desk that we've talked about on the podcast, and that is the bill uh, on... That will lift the moratorium banning sulfide mining in this state. I know Robert, this is something you wanted to talk about, but it didn't it didn't stop while you were gone. You left the state for three days, but it looks like uh, it is heading to Governor Walker's desk for what is uh, looks like an all but certain signing,
2: yeah, uh, in well, the bill was acting against something very unreasonable. the just to remind listeners, the uh, previous law said, You just had to prove that there was any mine anywhere in the country, uh, any sulfide mine that had not ended up polluting the water and had been closed safely. That was very unreasonable. But I want to say, just like with Foxconn, the lack of a glittery stallion, right, Uh, if we're going to be serious, progressives need alternative jobs programs, massive economic investment plans for upstate, for, for up north Wisconsin, because quite frankly, this is all that's being offered a lot of folks is this or nothing. Well, and
0: again, Robert, that m- mentions back to 2018 elections, having a vision, uh, and I think both this, what's what's being ramrodded uh, in terms of a rollback of environmental legislation. We, we talked about the KFOs last week. Uh, all of this, there needs to be an agenda that's forward-looking, that provides a real alternative, and uh, we're looking forward to having those conversations as we go forward here on the podcast, but with that, we're going to have to wrap up the no, show in Jorna no. since you're back.
1: Yeah,
0: There's been a lot of requests from some of our fans to have the weekend furlough back <gasps> yes. and there, and we haven't done it in like two or three months. Yes. So I figured I'd end this show with you back with a furlough. What, what are you doing this weekend now that, you know, summer is on us? Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> now that we're headed into the, teeth, The grips of winter. Winter is
1: not even coming. What's, it's here.
0: What's going on for Jorna?
1: Uh, I'm actually staying in Milwaukee for an extra night to um, celebrate my friend's birthday tomorrow night on Friday night, and we are going to go re- to the retro dance party at Mad Planet.
0: The Mad Planet. It's a that's an excellent recommendation for anyone. Is that a, that's Saturday night, right? That they have that or is the that retro is Friday? Friday? Friday retro. Get out and enjoy the Mad Planet, Robert. What are you doing this weekend? I know you've been traveling a lot. You here this weekend, or I'm here, but i right. just
2: i got to go to Portland, Maine last week for a healthcare summit, and New Orleans this week. So I don't feel like I need to travel anymore. <laughs> and you know, I like working and playing, so I did get some absolutely fantastic uh, jambalaya, red bite beans and rice. Uh, the New Orleans Fair, and we were in a hotel in the French Quarter. So I feel like I just maybe I'll go hiking this weekend, and in, in our beautiful that, Kennel Moraine area. That's a real area. furlough. There you go. Yeah. See, oh just God, for you, I go Jorna. Away and Welcome has back. Real
1: furloughs. And my well, nephew Elijah
2: is volunteering as this in action. That's not I a furlough. A furlough. Oh. That
1: is not a furlough for him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well, this weekend I will be attending the AMA District 16 Award Banquet. My uh, son, Ezra, finished second in the 250 class this year and fourth in the 505 in Open Amateur. So we're going to spend the weekend celebrating uh, his accomplishments this year. But with that, we want to thank Brian Woodridge, our producer, who makes the show happen every week. Woo. And of course, Jorna Taylor for me. guesting, being the bestie guestie with us. And uh, we will see everybody next week here at the Battleground with